near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 382, March 1st, 2022, the NDEs of Volley. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Now, I will give a uh, forewarning, I've got a little bit of a cold and my voice and throat are a little sore and uh, don't worry, I've, I've been tested and don't have COVID, but uh, I uh, am struggling with my voice a little bit, so I may not do as much commentary today, but we do have a good size experience to share by Volley on enderf.org. So we'll go ahead and dive into that. Volley says, Hello, I'm a 43-year-old male. I wanted to share my near-death experience with you because I really haven't told anyone about everything that I witnessed and saw while I was dead twice. When I was a kid, I was very active and never chose to sit inside and be lazy, but instead I would go outside and do something. I loved sports and the outdoors. I did not do drugs, alcohol, or smoke. This pattern continued until my first heart attack at 25. The following year, I had another heart attack, and that was when I had my first near-death experience. I remember being in my mom's room while she was on her computer. One minute I was talking with her, and the next, I remember being in the ambulance with the paramedics working on me. I told them I was fine and asked them what they were doing and why they were rushing around. It was confusing, but as I was telling them I was fine, I started feeling my chest hurt and boom, I woke up again. I was standing in front of a massive building. Actually, building is not quite right, but it's difficult to describe. In front of the building were tall pillars like those old Roman temples, The light seemed to be coming from all around, like there was no source of the light because it was everywhere. The front of the building had one giant doorway. There was no door, just an open archway. As I looked at this building, my uncle, who died approximately five or six years before, was standing beside me. He told me that I needed to go into the building and he would walk with me. I walked with my uncle through this massive coliseum with the huge pillars lining the entire way. As we were walking, we said nothing because it felt like nothing needed to be said. 
I was calm and didn't feel like I needed to worry at all. As I got to about the middle of the room, I heard my grandfather's voice saying, This is not your time. We stopped and I opened my eyes. I was in the hospital. The heart doctor put a stent in my body and said that I was lucky to be alive. I had been clinically dead for 14 minutes. I continued to be plagued with health problems over the next 10 years, during which I had more heart attacks, multiple knee surgeries, a neck fusion. All my lower back was fused. Then I had another major heart attack. This time I woke up in a beautiful rolling field and was standing on the edge of a large pond. As I looked around, I saw that same huge pillar building on the top of the hill in the back left part of this field. There was a waterfall that seemed to be coming from nowhere that was falling into the other side of this large pond. As I looked, I had noticed that where the water was falling into the pond, there was no disturbance, like splashing or ripples. It was quite beautiful. There was also a tree line on the back right side of this field, that came from the right back side and came all the way out, almost to the middle of this field. This tree line is important. As I looked around, I saw my uncle again. In our communication, I never saw his mouth move. He just kept that smile. It was more like his voice was put right into my head. He was smiling at me and he said, Hello again. I remember laughing, and he raised his arms and asked, Do you like it? As he referred to my surroundings. I answered, Yes, I do. He brought one of his arms down and motioned toward the pond as he said, This is where we are going to be doing our fishing. As I looked down, I could see that I was standing about an inch off the top of the water. I looked straight down into the pond and saw large fish swimming around. Then I looked back up to him, and he motioned to me to join him on the other side. He said, There is someone waiting for you. I immediately got this feeling that ran through my, throughout my whole body. The closest I can describe the feeling would be love, but with that feeling also came infinite knowledge. This knowledge was telling me that I knew exactly who was waiting for me which made me even happier. In life, I had excruciating pain every time I moved or sat for long periods of time. But when I was dead and on the other side, I felt none of that pain and none of that depression. I felt happy. This feeling isn't the kind of happy that's the same as, I'm happy because I got a new car, or happy that Haagen-Dazs ice cream has made a new chocolate flavor, This was the kind of happy, like all the happy times of my life, all rolled up into a constant feeling of true happiness. When I say that we walked, walking is probably not the right word for that either. It was more like gliding. So while I was there, I felt no pain at all, or did not get tired from moving or walking, gliding. I immediately knew who was waiting for me and I and where I needed to go. My uncle and I started walking, gliding across this field, 
and moving toward the tree line in the back right section of the field. The trees were large, but not as large as a sequoia. It was full of fall-season colored leaves. When we reached the edge of the tree line that stopped about midway through the field, we saw a house. The two-story beautiful house had a porch. As I walked to the corner of the house to look down the other side of the house, I noticed that the house was attached to a truck. The house was not just being pulled by the truck, but actually like the house was the bed of the truck. It was like someone could drive the truck and take the house with them. But when I saw that truck, it seemed to make sense. It was a green dually. A dually is larger than a normal pickup truck and is usually meant to pull fifth-wheel trailers. I came back to the porch of the house, went to the door, and knocked on it. I knew exactly who was going to open it. I just knew it was going to be my dad, who had passed away a few years before this happened. I knew it with every part of my being. But before he got to the open door, I heard another familiar voice behind me. It was my grandfather who had passed around the same time my dad did. He was the same grandfather who pulled me from there the last time I died. This time he seemed almost... I can't say angry, because it was not anger, but concerned. It was like being a child doing something dangerous, and my parents ran over and held me, saying, Never do that again. Do you know how dangerous that is? We could have lost you. It's a concerned scolding, I guess is the best way to put it. Anyway, I didn't see him, but that's the way his voice sounded. He said this time, not speaking to me, but sounding like he was speaking to my to his son, my uncle, he scolded, He is not done yet. He has to go back. I felt my grandfather's hand grab my arm as I was pulled up. Then my eyes opened, and I was lying on a hospital bed with nurses and doctors standing over me. I had a few follow-up appointments with this heart doctor, who was the doctor that was standing over me when I woke up. He said, Mr. B, you are the luckiest man I've seen. I figured he was going to tell me because you are here and to change my diet, etc. But no, he told me that I was clinically dead for 27 minutes and that they had been working on me that whole time. He said that he had put down the defibrillator and said, I'm calling it. That means they're stopping their attempts to bring me back to life. He continues by saying, I put the paddles down, looked up at the clock, and said, Mark the time of death. As he was trying to say the word death, the heart monitor beeped once. He said, Huh? Well, let's try one more shock. As they shocked me one more time, my eyes popped open wide, looking around the room and trying to move around. I heard a nurse say, Oh my gosh! And another said, He must have a guardian angel looking over him. He also told me they had shocked me with the defibrillator over thirteen times. I had the burns on my chest to prove it. I had been to the same place twice after dying. I saw the same person greet me both times. I was pulled from that place twice by the same person. Each time was not identical, so it wasn't like my brain was trying to show me the same thing twice. It showed me exactly where I was going when I do happen to die. 
it also showed me that I have led a good life, because if I hadn't, I'm sure that experience would have been a whole lot different. The first time I died, I believe that the hallway of pillars that I was walking down was bringing me to someone very important. But the second time, where I was going to see my dad, the first time was different, as in, it felt more important. My near-death experience was real, despite what naysayers might say. My opinion cannot be changed. One more thing. I'm looking for a talented artist that can draw what I saw both times I died. I don't have any money to pay this person, but I will greatly appreciate it. I expect it to take a few tries unless there is a way to be with the artist to make real-time modifications. That is the end of Volley's experience. And... There are many things that I find very interesting about this. And if any of you artists out there are interested in trying to depict this, that could be quite a fun project. But uh, I personally do not know how to reach this individual. However, I suspect that Jody Long, who is the administrator of and creator of the uh, enderf.org website, could probably get you in touch with them. But let's talk about the experience itself. It seems that his first uh, awareness is of standing in front of a massive building. This, uh, he even describes it as being like a Roman temple or Colosseum. I have heard many experiences describing an auditorium, Colosseum, different things like that, where you know, diff, you know, they'll be in different positions, either in the audience or in the, you know, kind of the, the center of it. Other times, like this, it's it's kind of unclear whether he is standing a distance from it, looking at it, or standing right next to it, or in it. I'm I'm not exactly sure, but this Colosseum Auditorium seems to keep coming up, and similarly, uh, the uh, Library of Learning keeps coming up. Now, he does not mention this library, but uh, some people describe the library as a Roman-style or Greek-style building, and it's possible that this is an overlapping um, thing, that it's the same kind of building and so forth. It's also possible that there is many of these. Uh, My suspicion is that there is some kind of auditorium slash coliseum type structure that is very common on the other side, probably for some particular purposes or or um, intentions. I'm not exactly sure what those intentions are, but they keep coming up. Some of them even include a throne room of sorts where it's where people interpret it as the throne of God. Now, of course, not everybody sees that, sees a throne in this Colosseum. And so, you know, are, it, is it possible that there is some throne room type Colosseum auditorium type place that is the throne of God and that many other such buildings are designed um, after the manner of it? I'm not sure. Again, it's just that this keeps coming up, this Colosseum, this auditorium. Whether it's the same one or not, I think that's significant. And it's kind of cool that Volley 
talks about in detail this field that he's seeing and the pond and this line of trees which he takes to be very important, this tree line being very important. And it's unclear why except that he was to meet somebody very important there, which it appears he never does, it, that he's about to. But then in this um, sort of almost rebuking type tone, dangerous, you know, you're in danger kind of voice, um, you've got to go back. And it appears to be his grandfather. And twice he also, again, in both of these near-death experiences, uh, Vali sees his uncle, and his uncle seems to act as his guide for his near-death experience, or his death experience. And when the voice of his father said, basically shouts to send him back, his uncle, you know, kind of grabs him and, boom, he's back in the hospital. It's interesting, isn't it, how the people on the other side are so inviting and welcoming, and yet there always seems to be some, even if it's only one or two, that say, no, you've got to go back. I almost wonder, I, it's hard to say, if there are some, you might call them guardian angels, uh, loved ones who are assigned to us, for particular purposes, such as if they come back early, you make sure they go back. And maybe those people are given the timeline, whatever even that means on the other side. And and maybe that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, it, it appears that his uncle is not resisting the father and saying, in, in, you know, when his father says he's not done yet, he has to go back. Um, oh, it, and, and I just re-glanced over it. It was not his uncle that grabbed his arm and pulled him back, but rather his grandfather. And I just reviewed back through um, to remember properly, and both times his his uh, uncle is kind of his guide, but his grandfather, it's his grandfather's voice that is saying he has to go back. This is not your time. Both times. The first time he says, this is not your time. He says, we stopped, and I opened my eyes. Boom, he's back in the hospital. The second time, it's his grandfather's scolding, you know, you're in danger kind of a voice, saying he is not done yet. He has to go back. His grandfather grabs his his arm, and he is pulled. He's suddenly back in the hospital. So is his grandfather acting in a role of make sure he does not come back early, and his uncle acting as the guide who is simply there for him. That's that's what it appears. Now, whether his uncle or grandfather is his um, guardian angel in life, obviously we don't know. It doesn't, doesn't really specify, but I think it's possible. That idea that some seem to be very welcoming and saying, welcome home, you know, let's go explore, come check this out, you know, which is, uncle is saying, you know, even says, this is where we're going to do our fishing. And, you know, he looks down and sees these fish. He's floating over this water. They're gliding around. He, he said, it kind of describes it as if it feels like walking, you know, they're just strolling along. It's very casual in that sense. It's not like a, whoa, I'm floating kind of a thing. It's this is just how you get around, and this is how we walk. You know, we just glide around. And um, then 
when he reaches this point where he's about to see his father, his grandfather says he's got to go back. And it appears that he does not see his father. And it appears that in the first experience, there was somebody very important that he was deeply anticipating seeing, and he knew exactly who it was. But he never got to see them because he came back. He would have seen them had he stayed. But it's interesting also to me that he never tries to come out and say, well, I can tell you who it was that I was about to see. He never even makes that attempt. He just says, I knew who this was going to be. I absolutely knew. But then he doesn't get to see him before coming back. Now, somebody asked a question recently, why do some people see God, for example, or Jesus, and others not see God or Jesus? And my answer has generally been, well, they probably just haven't been there long enough. They probably weren't there long enough to have that level of experience, or not that level of experience, that part of the experience. I mean, think about it this way. Um, Think of the last three days, okay? Um, Some of you have been to the grocery store in the past three days. Some of you have not. And is there a problem with that? Why is it that some people have been to the grocery store and not others? Well, it's because some of you needed groceries in the last three days, and some of you, it's been longer than that. Now, if we think of the spirit world in that sense, and again, this is hard to say it this way because time not being quite what it is here, uh, I think I think there is still some level of order to how things happen. And even if multiple things are happening or whatever at the same time, however that works, there is still only so much you can experience um, when you're about to return. You can't have the infinite of all experiences that a spirit ever could in the 30 seconds that you're dead. Not because time is a factor, but rather because you only experience certain things in the in you know while you're there. And had you been there longer, whatever longer means, had you been there longer, you probably would have experienced it. Many of you will go to the grocery store in the next three days who haven't been in the last three days. And those who haven't been and won't be will probably be there in the next year. My point is, is that those who meet God and Jesus Christ happen to have, and I I hesitate to use that word, happen to, as if it's some chance thing. I think there's purpose and intention behind it, but, uh, but some will have been there in the three days that they visited. Some will be there in the next three days that they visit, and others, it'll be a longer time, but I suspect that all will have those experience, experiences that want them. I also suspect that those who are very uncomfortable with that idea probably won't. Just like if somebody has a fear of the grocery store, they probably won't go. And they will send others, they will order online, whatever. Um, and that's fine. It's not, it's not like we can judge people for being uncomfortable with the idea of God and therefore don't want to meet him if there is such a being, so to, so to speak, you know, their, their attitude. But 
I think if we want to see him, I think we will. Absolutely. And it's not like a one-time thing. It's not like, you know, oh, I got to go to France once. I think it's like the grocery store. We will go many times. We will throughout our lives not even keep track of how many times we've gone to the grocery store because we're going to do it regularly. I, at least that's my hope, that we will have those experiences with God like that. And to the question of qualifying, um, which is a big question, especially among Christians and others of, of faiths where there is a judgment day uh, teaching, um, including my own faith, when you look at the kind of encounters, the kind of conversations, if you will, that people have with God or Jesus Christ or any other great spiritual beings, the, there are lessons to be learned. And I consider that a form of judgment, not, not in the sense of being judgmental, not of being, you know, gavel, hits the thing, okay, you're guilty kind of judgment, but rather a weighing of what a person is doing with their life and what they're learning and how they can grow. Think of it more like, almost like, more like a guidance counselor at a school. You sit down with your counselor and you may dread that meeting if you have really just slacked off with school. Okay, they're going to maybe chastise you a little bit, maybe give you a little, you know, mental upside the head to say, you got to get your gear in order. And that seems to happen for a lot of people. You talk to someone like Daniel Brinkley, his was not a mean, you know, uh, fire and brimstone judgment um, experience, but it was absolutely a spiritual knock upside the head, not a hate-filled or anger-filled lesson, but an absolutely love-infused lesson of change. You need to change. And, And so I think that's a little bit more what we're talking about in terms of, you know, if if someone is concerned that, well, what if I don't qualify to meet God? I don't think meeting him is a qualification thing. I think the type and quality of your afterlife can be absolutely affected by, you know, your choices and, you know, what you do with your life and so forth. But that's why we have the guidance counselor to say, let's work on this. It's not that we're it's impossible to fail. I don't think it's impossible to fail, but I don't think it's possible to fail without choosing to, if that makes sense. And I would say, too, that you've got the most loving, most forgiving guidance counselor in the universe who is there to say, let me help you. We can get through this together. And as we look on our life review and go, oh my gosh, I was, oh, I was terrible. Why did I do that? We're going to have him or whoever putting their arm around us and saying, but you were learning, you were learning, you were growing, be patient with yourself and let's learn what needs to, to be learned. The nice thing about knowing this, I feel like we've got the cheat sheet a little bit. We don't have to wait until the other side to learn the lessons that we came here to learn. We don't have to wait till we get there before learning the most essential things that make us the loving, 
beings that God intends us to be. We can start now. We can look at our lives, look on the things that we've done that have been cruel, look at the things that we realize are just out of order, and say, okay, I'm ready to change. And then go to God now while we are in this place of pliability, in this place where learning is so possible and growing is so inevitable, if we're willing to put in the work to do it, that waiting is is a waste of time. We should be seeking to become better now, not because we're afraid of some fire and brimstone judgment, but rather because We are loving, eternal beings that want to grow, that want to learn, that want to love, that really, really want to maximize the amount of love that we spread in the world. We want that as spirits. We want that. And we I think those of you listening, you already sense that. That's probably part of the reason you're listening now. You sense that need for showing, giving, and producing love into the world and doing it in a way that matches you individually as a person. And I think that's why we're here. Everything that I read suggests that that's why we're here, to expand and grow love in the world in our own unique and guided ways. And with that, thank you so much again for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near-Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970 970- NDE cast calling allows you to record your message in three minute increments if your message runs longer than three minutes just call back and we can splice the segments together follow us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook by searching NDE podcast on those sites and join our Facebook NDE podcast community Please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show, either financially or by writing a review or by listening and sharing us with others, we are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. 
This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude. And our attitude should always be love.